James chapter 3, let's go, let's go. We're in the midst of our series, Faith Works as Trials Come. Anybody there? Uh, In the midst of a trial, coming out of a trial, about to go into a trial. We need help, right? We need our faith not just to be a, a vague concept, but we need our faith to be alive and active in the midst of the hard stuff of life. And today, we're gonna be talking about maybe one of the the more convicting topics. I think all of us know when we look around our world that we are a world at war, different kinds of wars, different levels of wars, that there are battles everywhere we turn. There are battles in our, in our homes. There are battles uh, across the street. There are battles going on across our state, our nation, around the globe. There's no problem with media outlets highlighting every single war going on. But James says today that there is a more dangerous war, there's a battle going on that we would say it's a a war of words, that the words that we speak have the ability to destroy, to damage, to hurt so much more than any arsenal, any weapon, any artillery. There's a war, and it's a war of words. Ever since the fall, we've been at war. So you're taking notes. Teachers and hearers. Teachers and hearers. James chapter 3 Verses 1 and 2, he's going to be speaking really bold to teachers, but also those of us who hear are responsible. What what do we have? Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know, you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah, here we go. And so I'm sure all of us feel very comfortable that we can just point our finger at at the preacher and say, yeah, you better not screw up, bro. All right, this one's for you, verse one. But here we have verse two, he wants to make it known. There is a strict judgment. There is an intensity to this calling to open God's word and and speak it. But he says this, verse two, we all, everybody say all, we all stumble in many ways. We all do, we all do. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, Oh, he, he's perfect. He's a perfect man. He's able to, and we have some equestrian imagery here, right? He's able to bridle his whole body. If he gets a hold of his mouth, he has control over everything. And what does James say? How many, how many people are doing this perfectly? How many don't stumble at all? He's saying this is a universal problem, right? This is a universal problem. He's saying, teachers, uh, you, you're going to be held to a, a high, high, standard there's going to be a judgment but he says just just to let you know we all we're all fellow strugglers let's remember that as i was thinking about this passage 18 years of of ministry and preaching what do you think my greatest regrets are how many words have been spoken between counseling and teaching and preaching there are so many regrets and they all they all come back to this the words that i have said because once they're out you can't get them back. Once the damage is done, the healing process isn't always very quick. I don't know about you, as you think about regrets over your life, how many of them are tied to the things that you said? How many times in your life have, have, has something come out and you've said, well, well I, I didn't mean that. Well, James is about to tell us, you mean everything you say. You just feel bad that you got caught Right, Your heart overflowed with what you really meant, what you really intended. It's just that there wasn't a, a guard and it happened to slip out. The problem is we can't retrieve those words. 
And James is so passionate about this. Within the church, we all stumble in many, many ways, and especially with our, with our words. Let's get really specific. Have there been things said here? Have there been things spoken over the phone, text, among us as a church? Just think over the past years. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how long you've been with us. If this is your first Sunday welcome, if this is your 45th year for some of us, God is really passionate about the words that we say and the intent that we have with them and the motives of our heart. And unfortunately, for many of us, we could say, I, I, I could write a whole novel about things that I have said about my fellow brothers and sisters, about my pastor, about the ministry, about what we should be doing, about what we shouldn't be doing, about what everybody's doing wrong and gossip and slander and hatred, right? Can we get that specific? Are we allowed to do that in church? Okay, okay, all right. Just making sure. I wanted to get permission first. So think about this. Think about this. That God says this is the key. That if you if you get a hold of your tongue, like the whole body comes with it. Like it's a whole package deal, but this is the hardest thing to get a hold of. So he says, teachers, you better beware. You better beware. The things that come out of your mouth, so I would, I would ask this, would you pray? Would you pray like you've never prayed before? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for the preaching ministry of our, of our church? That there's accountability. Did you know that there's no criticism that you can, you can throw around in this church that is anything that's going to be compared to what Jesus has to say on the final day about everything that was taught among us right, in, in this ministry? Would you pray for me? Because I'm not, I'm not afraid of what you have to say. I'm afraid of what Jesus is going to say. And, and I want to hear well done. And so would you pray? Would you pray that, that we would be a ministry that would be faithful to God's word, that we would say the hard things when, when the hard things need to be spoken, that we would be able to preach the word in a way that brings life transformation, that words as they go out, that they would be God's words, that the Holy Spirit would move and convict and encourage and comfort and heal would you pray for our, uh, our kids' ministry teachers and our student ministry teachers, thinking about all across the landscape of our men's groups and our women's groups and all the ministries that we have, that as the word goes out and words are spoken, that they would be words that would build up, that would bring life, that would meet us right where we're at and would change us, that we wouldn't be a ministry that would use ministry for the purpose of leveraging our opinions and our thoughts and, and attacks and our criticisms, but that we would see every time I'm with God's people, it's another opportunity to speak life, to be a help, to be a help, not to hurt, not to harm, right? And he says it starts with, it starts with the preacher, right? It starts with the teacher. It starts with those that are standing up and are speaking God's word. So evaluate your heart and your tone, and your language, and your words, because guess what? Do you know who else in our ministry teaches? We all do. Do you know who else is going to be held to a standard? Parents, grandparents, as you interact with those in your family, as you interact even in passing and giving counsel, giving advice. We talk to each other all the time. Even if the only words that you spoke were just within a couple hours on Sunday morning, how many words are spoken where you're actually using your words to inform, instruct, teach, and help? We're not just talking about the preaching of God's word, right? 
We're saying every time we open our mouths and we are informing somebody of something that they should be doing or could be doing or the way that maybe they could do it differently or that we are trying to help support them and we're giving advice, is that not an opportunity to teach? So what are you doing with it? What are you doing with all the opportunities you have to teach? For some of us, we're, we're spending most of our week counseling, whether we're counseling coworkers, we're counseling family members, we're counseling kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews. We're constantly, don't do that, do this. If I were you, I would go this way. If, if I were you, what you really need to do, and here's some helpful advice. And when I was in your shoes, this is where I went and I have regrets. Aren't, aren't we providing counsel, whether it's biblical or unbiblical, we're teaching people all the time. So it's not just me. Everybody point at me and say, it's not just you. Come on. All right, we're all responsible. We're all responsible for this in our teaching. And so I I just want to be helpful here. Four expectations for teachers. If we're thinking about not many should become teachers, obviously he's thinking a little bit more formal, uh, but we're all in some way teaching. If you want to jot this down, I I hope this is helpful. Grow in patience. Grow in patience. Be increasing in patience. We expect others to take our advice. We expect others to do what we say, but when, when God speaks, can I ask you this? When God speaks to you, when God calls you, how well do you obey immediately? What's, what's your track record when, when God is speaking into your life, in your situation, how patient has God been with you? It's pretty incredible, isn't it? That like God has to tell me the same thing over and over and over and over and over and I'm just, I'm stubborn and hard-hearted and, and then finally I just surrender and I obey and then I wonder why did I not just listen to what the Holy Spirit was telling me all along? Well, if we're representing God, we're growing in patience because God is patient. Parents, grandparents, we're talking decades and decades and decades of did anything stick? Is anything being Heard, are they going to do anything? Like, why don't they ever take my advice? Patience, patience. We're doing our part. We're doing our part to speak the truth in love, to encourage, to help, and hopefully we are doing it with patience, right? Number two, if you're taking notes, stay a student. Stay a student. If you are a Christian and you are following Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus. You are a disciple. What does a disciple mean? It means you are a student. You're a learner. You are a student. So does anybody graduate from being a student of Jesus? Like, is that kind of like a one-year program and then like you get a little certificate or something? Do you get a degree, the diploma, and you're, you're gone? Anybody embrace the full reality that we are called disciples, we're called students because we are called by Jesus to be lifelong learners. At the point that we quit being learners is the point at which we cease to be impactful teachers. Because if you ain't got nothing going in, do you know what's coming out? A lot of godless, worldly advice. Everybody say that's unhelpful. 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 Unless we got truth coming in and we're learning and learning and growing, we don't have truth coming out, right? Truth in, truth out. The problem is, for some of us, we might have like, I got saved, check, got dunked, check, and then maybe I I went to Sunday school a little bit and then I closed my, my Bible. Or for some of us, just like me, being saved as an adult And then all of a sudden, there is a quick download of information, learn a whole lot of Bible trivia 101, and then like, eh, that's good enough. If you feel like you've graduated or you feel like you never started as a student, that's a problem 
because on average, it, it is said that uh, every person annually speaks around a million words. Everybody say that's a lot. A million words, okay? And that's not counting any kind of social media. So should we at least like double that? At least two million. And for those that are in any capacity of like doing a, a Bible study and even just speaking God's word there or having a, a mentor relationship where you're together with somebody and you're speaking into their life, you're adding all kinds of additional words. For some of us, we speak a lot of words and there's not a lot of truth coming in. And therefore, it's very predictable what's coming out in your everyday conversations. It's not Christ-centered. It's not biblically based. It's, I think, this was my experience. This is the way I see it. Is anybody led to follow Jesus according to worldly wisdom, according to your opinions and ideas? There's not a whole lot of spiritual impact. And so we are students, and we stay, we stay students. And we are, we're passionate about education. We're passionate about training that part of our vision for the future is looking at starting a a gap year program, a one-year program where we'll be able to train up those that are just graduating from high school. They don't know if they're going to go into the workplace or they're going to go into college, and they can spend a year with us. Be praying that down the road that we may be in a place that we could offer that. Also, to offer fully accredited uh, college degrees that we could offer bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. And I've done that uh, multiple places. So I have 10 years of college education. I've taught at two college and seminaries, and I've started two of my own, and I have nothing to show for it because you don't even believe me. I know, I know. It's very unimpressive. I know it's hard to believe, right? All right? Don't judge the package, okay? All that to say, I have seen powerful things happen when people finally awaken to the reality. I can't just check the box that I'm going to heaven when I die and I'm good. God's calling me to be a lifelong learner, and I, I need to be hungry to grow because so much depends on what I'm saying with my words to people. I got to grow of what's coming in. How about this? Number three, remember the judgment. Remember the judgment. Do you see that in, in verse one, as we read earlier? You know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We're talking teachers are judged more strictly, and this is by God on the final day, but could I say also those that are in a place of teaching are also judged by others all the time. So when a teacher is no longer following Jesus, people are still following them. I mean, I, I jotted down all kinds of things throughout the week that I was going to talk about of how many pastors are turning away from the faith, how many people that, that used to be mega church pastors and have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers all over social media, and one day they say, I don't believe this garbage anymore, I'm done. Some of the most impactful leaders in my life today, I just, I just look through some of my, my books, and half of the books that I have are written by those who are now apostate. They walked away from the faith. But what was in their book, the book they wrote, was amazing theology, impactful. It was clear, it was precise, they knew the right things. And little by little, the erosion, right, the wearing away of the foundation to the point that I'm done. I'm done with Christianity altogether. And how many people follow? Well, people judge, right? They criticize that. My thought is they're going to have to stand before Jesus. They're going to have to give an account for that. 
So what if, what if we thought less about judging them ourselves and thought more about the sobriety that there's nothing I can say that has any impact at all? Jesus, on that final day, he will have the final say. If you ruin your family, that's one thing. If you ruin God's family, that's a total different thing, right? Number four, expect relentless criticism. It's easy to forget God's future judgment, but criticism today, think about trying to share the gospel with somebody and going, well, they're going to criticize what I have to say, and I don't have answers for them, all the way to being a a teacher and, and you're teaching elementary students or junior high or high school, or you think about getting up, right, one day and and speaking to a group, maybe a group of ladies or men to be able to, to get up and share a devotional or to speak God's truth in a context of a, a men's group or, or to preach God's word, men, at some point. Think about the criticism that comes your way and to be faithful to keep on doing it. I was told entering into ministry, a great mentor of mine said, John, no matter where you go, no matter where you move, no matter what state, country, If you preach God's word in a local church, 5% of the congregation is going to hate your preaching, and they always will. They will not like anything you have to say. They will be frustrated with you. They'll criticize you. They'll they'll throw rocks at you. So as, as we think about criticism, man, it comes in all kinds of ways. So if we are confident that we're passing on God's word, not our own words, that as it comes, how practical is that for all of us just as we're going throughout the week? and we're having conversations, and Jesus is brought up, or we are speaking the truth, you're not responsible for what comes back at you. And don't let the fear of criticism stop you. Keep speaking God's word, no matter what the backlash is, no matter what is spoken to you. The criticism, the negativity, keep talking and speaking God's word. How about this? Three warnings for for hearers. Because what does verse 2 say? We all what? We all stumble, right? We get tripped up. We stumble over temptation, right? We get led astray. We all do. We all do. We all stumble in many. Everybody say many. Oh, so many different ways. If anyone doesn't stumble, he's he's perfect. That's not you. That's not me. We are all fellow stumblers, right? So if you're if you're taking notes, just put we all stumble. We all stumble. We are so quick to judge teachers. We're quick to judge others. We're well, yeah, I had a right to speak up about what they did, what they said. Well, how about when that criticism comes your way, right? What, what happens when you stumble, when you trip up? And it's like, why are people so judgmental? Because um, you, you reap what you sow. So I wonder if we are a church that would just acknowledge we are fellow strugglers along the way. We're on a journey, and we are all struggling. And so the next time we're tempted to to maybe speak up about something that we have a problem with, what somebody else said and what somebody else did, and they didn't do it the right way, and they didn't say it just right, or they were too or not enough, that we would say, God, I want grace when I mess up, and I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it right now. I so long to be loved in the mess that is me. So when somebody messy is around me, maybe, maybe you're sleeping with that person. Okay, all right, all right. You don't have to go too far to be like, there is, there is a mess and, they, and I'm married to them and they live in my house, right? Well, it's very easy to lay down the law when it's someone else. It's very different when I want, I want to be treated a certain way. I want, I, want, I want to be treated lightly though I treat others harshly. And God is, he's calling us to be 
different, right? Number two, don't be a critic. Don't be a critic. Be, be a coach. Don't be a critic. Be a coach. For many of us, we walk around with, with rocks that we're ready to throw. And I wonder if, if God would just say to us today, I want, I want to be helpful. I want to be a coach. I want to speak, but I want to speak in a way where my timing and my tone are right. Does everybody know the difference between a critic and a coach? You, you think there's a difference? You think there's a big difference? I mean, because critics love to speak in public about the failures of others. What do coaches usually do? Hey, can I pull you aside? Hey, can we talk one-on-one? Because I'm not here to publicly humiliate you. I'm here to help you. But I'm going to speak up, right? I'm going to give you a level of, of feedback. I'm concerned. For many of us, we would say a critic's intent is to make sure that everybody's invited to join in the criticism. And actually, a coach is trying to protect you from the criticism in order to help you. So question, do you have a coach? Do you have somebody that is speaking in, encouraging, is willing to say the hard things, the direct things to be able to, to help you along the way, to help you get unstuck? And I wonder for, for some of us, here, here's a check, here's a check. If every time someone has tried to help you and speak into your life and you've responded with defensiveness and felt judged, that might be a sign that you spend a lot of your time criticizing others, that you are very sensitive when criticism comes your way and the reality is if we live in a place of grace where we are gracious to others we're not afraid of people speaking very boldly into our lives we actually are looking for it we want to be helped I was on a phone call this morning I I pray with one of our pastor friends as part of our our network Um, Joel Smelly was here he preached last year for those that that were around um, so I was, one, I was his reference. He's actually already a doctor. I hate that guy. Um, so he's, he's already got a, a doctorate in ministry, and he's going back to seminary to get a Ph.D. What a snob, right? Right. Who does he think he is? So he's going to be Dr. Joel Smelly Jr., Ph.D. <laughs> All right. So, so talking, to, talking to Joel uh, about where, where he's at in his journey of, of training and, and development, um, and the one thing that we keep coming back to is information, right? More Bible, more knowledge, more theology doesn't necessarily lead to a life that's being transformed. So the majority of the time that I talk with him and that we pray together is, how are you doing with your family? How are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing with your kids? I'm not impressed by your multiple degrees because I've watched enough guys with multiple doctorates make a shipwreck of their faith, right, and cheat on their wife and destroy their kids. I'm not impressed by that. What's impressive is to be able to have relationships where we're able to take the gloves off and ask really honest questions, right? It's powerful. It's powerful when you have a coach, when you have somebody that loves you, when somebody is willing to speak up and say, uh, it's time to change. You need to repent. It's time to walk away from that and enter into a new chapter. It's time to put that bad habit to death, right, and grow up. So critic or coach, which are you? Which are you? It takes no patience or love to be a critic, but listening well, listening to be a good coach in the future, taking notes, that's powerful. That's powerful. Number three, highlight the best, not the worst. Highlight the best, not the worst. If we love someone, we present them on their best day, we, we show the highlight reel. And if we hate somebody, we present them on their worst day. We, we exploit the rap sheet of failures. And our hearts are revealed. 
in how we talk about people. So, so big question, how do, you, how do you talk about people? How do you talk about people? Because if we love people, we're looking for the good. We're looking to highlight things that we're encouraged by, that, that we're hopeful of for their future. And honestly, for many of us, we grew up in a home where maybe parents or a parent, all they did all day long was police. Like, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you will lead to nothing, you're a screw-up, you're a failure. Guess what kind of adults that makes? All we can see is the bad. All we can do is identify the, the criticism. All we can do is go into a replay over and over the broken record of they're doing it wrong, they're doing it wrong, what's wrong with them, why don't they get it, why don't they see it, what an idiot, what an idiot, what an idiot. Everywhere you go, if all you're seeing is the negative, the problem is not the people out there, the problem is in the mirror. And for some of us, it's so deeply ingrained because that's all we know. When you were rescued, when you were forgiven, when you were redeemed by King Jesus, he rescued you from all of the old. He set you out of that on a very different foundation, a very different mindset, a very different mouth to speak that God changes the heart that changes, the attitude, the tone, the motives, the criticism fades as you follow Jesus. And in our marriages, in our parenting, maybe grandparenting, maybe, maybe we're taking this thing multi-generation of, you know what? I inherited a pile of junk in my childhood. That's all I'm passing on. That's all I'm providing. And we see generational sin in this area of it's a stronghold it's a way of thinking it's a way of life do you think jesus is bigger than that the things that jesus wants to do to end the cycle to break the generational curse to be able to lead to a future where you don't have to be who you were and you don't have to be like that and you have to think like that and talk that way but unfortunately in the church james is calling this out and he's saying we stumble in many ways we need to be taught. We need to be learners. We need to learn to not regurgitate the same stuff. We need to speak differently. The Holy Spirit convicts, but Satan condemns. So all week long, are your words condemning? Are you still on Team Satan? Or have you truly been rescued that you're on Team Savior? You're on Jesus' team. And that your mouth shows where your loyalty lies. It's powerful. It's powerful. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's powerful. It is. It changes everything. Anybody can change. Any heart can change, no matter how hard, no matter how deeply ingrained. And it's all about this. He says, it shows up in the mouth. Do you know how powerful the mouth is? Look at verse, look at verse three through eight. If you're taking notes, write down tongue and analogies. Tongue and analogies. It's saying, this tongue, it's a wild beast. It refuses to be tame. It's a furious beast that's caged in my head. James leverages three analogies. He paints for us vivid pictures. He's drawing from the Proverbs. He's drawing from Solomon, and he's saying this war of words, it's like horses and bits. It's like ships and rudders. It's like forests and sparks. Let's take a look, shall we? Here we go. Verse three, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies, right? We, we have the ability, the power to control their whole bodies. Wherever the head turns, the body follows. Wherever the eyes go, you control the gaze and you can lead a beast anywhere. 
even the largest horse, even the smallest child that, that knows a thing or two about where to, to put a bit and how to hold the reins. I mean, there was a horse. I don't know if you know the, the Guinness Book of World Records for, for horses, okay? So we're talking, here, here's the facts. Large horse, seven foot two, 3,360 pounds. Everybody say, wow. Anybody know how many hands that is? Uh, precisely 21.2, okay? Huh? Pretty impressed, impressed, right? That is big. A Shire gelding named Goliath. Anybody think that's a fitting name? Goliath. Goliath died in 2001. Everybody say, oh, I know. Did you know that even like an 80-pound cowgirl, right, in all of her frivolly lace and, and little leather boots, right, hopping on the back of Goliath with a little tug of, of the reins controls a beast that is over a ton and a half. That, that's powerful, right? That's powerful. James is like, think about the power of your words. Every time you see a horse, think the mouth is so powerful to lead, to guide. And then he, he, doesn't, he doesn't stay there, right? He doesn't stay there. He says, how about this? Ship and rudder, verse four, ship and rudder. Let, let's, go, let's go to the ocean. Let's go to the sea. Look at the ships also, he says, verse four. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. When I, I, was, I was taking a look at some historic ships. Did you know the Nazis built this powerhouse battleship? I don't, I don't know if you're a his, his history nut, but the Bismarck was built in 1940 825 feet long. It was the largest battleship in the world. The Bismarck had top-of-the-line recent technology, a targeting computer. It was so precise that when it entered into battle, a shootout with the Royal Navy, the HMS Hood, the Royal Navy's pride. Guess what the Bismarck did? One torpedo. Done. They're like, like, next! But you know what happened? The next year, the Bismarck, the Royal Navy knew there's no way we can defeat this thing. And guess what they did? They aimed at the rudder. Guess how long? The Bismarck, the unsinkable, unstoppable battleship, it lasted a few hours, sunk. Because they aimed at one little area of a monster ship. And they knew if we can take out just that little part, we got control of the whole thing. And I, I just, I wrote down, you can be growing and maturing and doing amazing things for God, well-developed in every area of your Christian life, and if you don't have control over one area, one part of your life, all of it crumbles. I mean, think about that. Well, what about this? The last one he highlights is a forest and a spark. A forest and a spark. You see that verse five, how great a forest is set ablaze by, by such a small little fire. All I said was, it wasn't a big deal. It was just, I didn't mean it. And just one, one little spark. Big problem, big problem. Everybody say big problem, huge. Just one, just one little spark. It says verse six, the tongue is a fire, a world. It's, a, it's an entire world. It's a universe of unrighteousness, of wickedness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And it's, what does he say? The tongue, our words, our mouth, set on fire by what? Set on fire by, by hell. Do you think that James is trying to get a message across? 
your tongue, your words, your mouth is, it's a fire, not just a fire. It has the ability to destroy, to be so heinous, so wicked, like a hellfire. James, let's settle down a little bit, okay? Like, I know I'm not going to hell. Are you saying that I'm going to hell? Are you saying that I'm sending other people to hell? You may not be going to hell, but your words have the ability to set hell on earth in your relationships, in your friendships. The power of your words, even as a Christian. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the church. Not, man, I work with this guy. James ain't talking about that guy you work with, right? Well, I got an uncle. You should hear his mouth. Guess what? James ain't talking to your uncle. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's not saying that there's some people out there that, man, their words destroy. He's saying every single believer has the ability, has great temptation to use their mouths in a way that, that destroys. Back in 1871, we lived right down the road from where this fire started. It's called the, the Peshtigo Fire, the Great Peshtigo Fire of 1871. How many people remember the Peshtigo Fire? Anybody learn about that in history books? No, you didn't. Do you know why? Because the same week that the Peshtigo Fire was going on, the Great Chicago Fire was also happening. The Peshtigo Fire was the biggest fire in America, American history across the board. 1.2 million acres. Think about the size of Delaware, and it destroyed all of northern Wisconsin, the upper peninsula of Michigan. If there wasn't water in the way, like Canada would be gone, all right? Sorry, Canada. So massive, 2,500 people died, and the majority of people, do you know where they died? They died in the rivers because they were boiled alive. It was so hot that every pond, every lake, every river in the area, as people are running for their lives, all of it boiled. Everybody say that's hot. And where did it start? One spark. They don't know exactly if it, like a cigarette butt. Do you think that they intended to set a forest fire that, that landed in history books and killed thousands of people? Do you think they ever had, like, they probably didn't even know it was them. Is that you? Just going throughout life, and it's like, just words are, I'm typing words out, I'm texting words, I'm posting words, I'm saying words, I'm making comments. And as you're driving through life, words are just getting tossed out. And guess what? There are relationships that are destroyed and you have no idea. There are people that are so hurt and reeling to this day. How many times, even as a parent, as an authority figure, whatever it is, we tend to say things to kids that we go like, it's just not a big deal. I just, I just made a comment or I just, I do counseling. I'm a certified counselor. Guess what the majority of my discussions in counseling are about? We go back and we just ask questions of, talk to me about what you heard about your identity, about your worth in your house growing up or at school. And guess what? People, even my dad who has dementia, has Alzheimer's, and he doesn't even like recognize me half of the time, he is able to identify things that my grandfather said to him before he was a teenager with crystal clarity, that he is a, a loser, that he's a failure, Guess what? One little spark. Just one, just word. It's just words, right? Like, it's just things that you say. And it doesn't take much because that spark turns into a fire. It destroys people's lives. People carry it with them. Are you carrying anything that you can remember? Somebody spoke over you. Somebody spoke into your life. Somebody said something or repeated something. And to this day, you're like, this is just who I am. This is who I am. This is who I'll always be. Because there is a fire from hell burning in your heart, destroying you. And it's because somebody with a, a loose mouth and cheap words and 
and just one, one little thing tossed out, fire, forest fire of damage. But how about this? As we think about the war of words, thinking how are we doing in our, in our friendships, right? War of words. How are we doing in our marriages, in our parenting, our extended family, our church family? Wrong thing, spoken, or even right words. Maybe it was right words, wrong person. Right words, wrong timing. Right words, wrong tone. Right words, wrong motive. We're in trouble, right? Because there's so many layers to our talk. Our talk is so damaging. And he wraps up this section with what? Verse seven, every kind of beast and bird, reptile, sea creature, what can we do with all of them? They can be tamed. And they have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can ever tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And we need help with our talk. Instead of bringing heaven down in our conversations, our tendency is to pull hell up into our aggravation, into our frustration, into our emotions, into our our bad week, our rough season, into our disappointments and letdowns. And God says it should not be so. Let's look at it. Next section. If you're taking notes, bless and curse. Bless and curse. Verses 9 through 12. He says, with it, the tongue, with our words, we we bless the Lord and Father. For some of us, you say, God, I love you, I praise you, I worship you. So good, it's so good. And then what does he say? And, everybody say and, and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. C.S. Lewis says, you have never met a mere mortal. Every person that you interact with is made in the image of God. So how is it that a one side of our mouth, we can, we can sing. We just did earlier, right? We can sing praises to God. We can worship God. We can get in his word. We can be so encouraged and like God's speaking and I, I want to give him credit and give him glory for everything he's done in my life. And then in the next breath, can you believe that person? I don't know about you, but the Jekyll and Hyde, right, in all of us, it doesn't take much. And here's what James has to say. What, what does he say? Jesus' little brother says, can you believe this? We bless our God. And then we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Proverbs 18, 21, life and death are contained in the tongue. Life and death. We have the ability to bring life and bring death. Verse 10, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. And what does he say? My brothers, my sisters, brethren, this should not be so. This should should never happen. These things ought not be so. Not in God's church. Not in God's church. Blessing, blessing and cursing. Hear this to bless, to, to encourage, to love, to lift up, to comfort, to counsel, to, to just ask good questions and pray and speak the truth. And he says, and we're so prone to curse, to bring criticism and gossip and slander and, and belittle and attack and accuse. James says, this should not be so. This should not be the life of a believer. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? Then he asks what? Verse 12, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Everybody say no. No, no, that ain't happening. That ain't happening. That's not how it works. He says, neither can a salty pond yield fresh water. I want us to just land the plane here. Everybody say land the plane. Come on. James is saying, get to the source. Get to the heart. Everything that comes out of you, out of the mouth, it's from the mouth that these words come, but what's the source? It started in the heart. It's a spring that pours out. And I would love for us to pause and to ask some questions. Let's walk through each one. Whom do I idolize? Idolize. Uh, Who do I lift above God? Who do I value more than God? Where do I put my trust and my hope? Is Is there an idol in my life? The thing or the person or 
a future outcome that I, that I want more than I want God? And number two, what do I covet? I'll be happy when fill in the blank. You have an answer to that? Are there things that go through your head constantly? I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when, when I finally get there or get that thing or I'm done with this. Or how about why, why did they have it and I don't? What do I covet? What lies do I perpetuate? What lies do I constantly play over in my own mind? I tell myself lies that have been spoken over me. What gossip do I enjoy? What, what gossip do I spread? Who do I attack? Who do I criticize and judge continually? From that kind of heart, the mouth speaks, right? What bitterness do I harbor? Maybe childhood hurts, marriage hurts, friend hurts, church hurts. Bitterness that has not been dealt with, and it builds and it builds and it builds. And how about this? How do I play God? How do I play God judging others, assigning motives, rendering a verdict, and I punish? Whose job is that? Only God is in that seat. Only God sits on that throne. Only God is judge. And so for many of us asking some of these questions, I wonder, and you think about that list, God's not just concerned about you. Like, stop swearing. Stop telling dirty jokes. Stop gossiping. Stop slandering and attacking people's reputation. Stop complaining. I, th- I think it's good to be aware of the areas that we need to put off, right? But it's not enough just to willpower your way through talking differently. Do you know what God wants to get after? If God gets a hold of our heart, our words change. If my heart changes, I don't even have to try really hard to bite my tongue. There's nothing to bite my tongue over when my heart is filled with gratitude, when my heart is filled with mercy and forgiveness received. I don't have to struggle with saying the words, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? Or you hurt me, can we talk about it? I want to be reconciled. I've been frustrated. I have held on to this and I don't want to hold on to it anymore. When your heart changes, those words come easy. The problem is our heart is hard. So words coming out are very regretful. I just want to pray over us that our hearts would be changed, that our words would be changed as a result. Anybody in favor of that? Anybody wanting to to go into a week where our hearts are being softened and our conversations are sweetened with Jesus? It's less about what I'm frustrated about and where I can attack. It's more about where can I encourage? How can I bring healing? How can I bring hope? How How can I believe the best so I can speak words that assume the best about people? Let's pray. Father, as we consider going into a week and going into a summer where we're going to have so many conversations. We're, we're going to be able to interact with people over the phone and online. We're going to be able to, to have really obnoxious group chats going on all the way to amazing deep conversations one-on-one. God, we're going to have all kinds of talks. So would you help us, even in this moment, as we slow down, as we pause to consider the word that we just heard, that you would change us from the inside. God, wherever we have been spending our time coveting and longing and and seeking for happiness apart from you, God, change us that we repent of that. We turn away from those empty pursuits. The ways that, that we constantly talk to ourselves and we put on repeat all of the ne- negativity, all the criticism, all, all the hurts that we've experienced and replaying situations in our minds, replaying all the ways we, we're going to get revenge or we're going to attack back. God, we repent. We want to turn. We want to turn away from that. We want to turn to you. God, all the ways that we don't think our talk is that bad because compared to the other guy, the other person, we're not that bad. 
God, we repent of comparing ourselves to anybody except for you, Jesus. Jesus, compared to you, we are in great need. God, help us to go into a summer with a mindset of wanting to learn and grow and be a student, to be learning from your word, to be hungry after the truth so that the truth would change us and set us free. And then that truth would come out of our mouths and that we would watch you use us to change the lives of somebody else because words have the power to set people free. The words that we can speak have the power to forgive and free people from burdens. God, your words have the ability to release us from shame and guilt. God, we want to hear your words and then we want to speak them. So help us to be a church like this, worshiping with our mouths, putting off old ways of talking that you would be glorified and we'd be filled with your joy. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.